kind of give you an idea of how the Lord has shaped me in some respects. Um, I am somebody who reads lots of biographies. I love the stories of people who have gone before, uh, and I love normal stories, and I love those crazy stories of people's lives. And I want to encourage you to be a reader of biographies, simply because when we get to see God's faithfulness in the lives of others, it stirs something in us. Our affections for God begin to swell. They begin to go, oh, wow, that's awesome. Um, And so uh, one of the things that that just continues to strengthen me is the testimony of the saints. Um, One of the things in the the book of Revelation, it, it talks about how the people of God overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimonies. And it's like there's something that happens when we share of God's faithfulness together. And so as I tell you this man's story, it's to, it's to stir those affections. That's why I would do that. Obviously, we'll run to God's word for the main portion. But truly, the stories of the saints have an effect on the saints. And I think we should be talking about those who have gone before us way more than we do. I think some, for some reason, we think, well, gospel, Jesus is old. So it can't, be, it can't have anything to do with me because it's old. I mean, I'm telling you, this is the way we walk today. We, because something is old, we think it has nothing to do with us. But what happens when you hear the, the stories of the saints down through the years, you go, wait a minute, it's the same story. It's not their story they're telling. It's, it's the faithfulness of God. It's his story they're telling. And God set it up that way all through the Old Testament to today. We know what we know because of the words that were spoken by those who have gone before us. And so Dr. David Livingstone, um, the the Dr. Livingston, I presume, uh, guy, that's actually who this is after because he went missing for a portion of his life, but he was a medical missionary explorer to Africa. Uh, As a child, he kind of avoided some of the labor stuff, as children often did in the UK. Uh, They had to go and work hours and hours and hours, and, and for him, studying became priority, and so he decided he was going to get a degree Uh, And he was going to be educated in both theology and science. Now, in his day, in the 1800s, this freaked some people out because they were like, you can't do both. You can't like both. I mean, one just proves the other, and that's how it works. And you can't have both. And so it freaked people out. It freaked his Christian family out because they were like, but if you, if you chase science, you won't believe in God. And if you chase God, you won't believe in science. And, and somehow, but the beautiful thing is, is we see both of them coming to full color as they work amazingly together, chasing theology and having his heart and his mind shaped by God, but also chasing medicine because he knew this is what God made him for. So he steps into medical missions, uh, goes to Africa, and becomes this um, explorer and missionary, having a huge heart to share the gospel, but also understanding he could meet a need in ways a lot of us could not through medicine. Um, and so in his journey, he is able um, to do a lot. And I'm not going to give you everything that he did or say everything that he walked in. But right before he left for his very first uh, trip to the dark continent, as they called it, he had some friends walk him to the pier, and they, all of them took this chance to tell him not to go. Like every single one of them said, it's safer, stay. You don't know what's there don't go. You need to stay put. Don't leave. Please stay with us. Don't go. You may never come back. 
Dr. Livingston pulls out his scripture and he opens to the very last page in Matthew and he reads the words, it was this, that my friend, leaving his friends to, to, to escape danger, he says that he looked at these words, lo, I am with you. And he said, that, my friends, is the word of a gentleman. Let's get going. Later, after he was getting to an age where he could not travel as much, he was speaking at a university, and again, he's speaking and asking after years and years and years of exploration and and gospel presentation and medical missions and opening wide the door so that the world would know the travesty and the, 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 the grotesqueness of the slave trade. In fact, he said one of the things in his journal that has absolutely stuck with me for a very long time, and he said simply, cannot the love of Christ take me where the slave trade would take the traitor? I have never forgotten that. He said, cannot the love of Christ take me somewhere that someone who is so greedy for money may go? If the love of Christ cannot get us there, then I don't know what will. And so as he is able to send back documents and write reports on the condition of the slave trade and open eyes to it and the, 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 the awfulness of it, He would speak at different universities, and as he was speaking, he would say to all of the kids in the classrooms, you know, how how was it that I was able to live and be in a part of societies that may or may not welcome me? They were often hostile towards me. They didn't speak my language. I didn't understand anything. So what keeps you motivated to continue on in this work? And he said these words. It was this, lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. On these words, I staked everything, and they never failed. There is something about these words that Jesus speaks. These words are actually coming from the Great Commission. Um, The disciples have witnessed Jesus' life. He included them in in his life all through Matthew chapters 1 through 28. You see Matthew recording for us Jesus' life, his words, his interactions. The disciples were with him for that. And in chapter 28, you see them leaving the city. They get out of town. I don't know if if it's like a, a rendezvous point. And Jesus is like, look, if everything ever goes down, go out to this mountain and we'll meet and we'll hook up. We'll, we'll talk here. This is where we will be. But they go out to this mountain, they have seen the resurrected Jesus, and Jesus meets them there, and he says these words to them. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This call that David Livingston followed and answered and found comfort in is not only to comfort him, but it transformed him. It's not only to comfort us, but it transforms us. 
The presence of God is actually what causes the transformation in our lives. His presence. This is what changes things. I know we like the rules, we like the lists, and we think if I do these things a number of times, I will res- I'll get the change that I want. But you guys could all raise your hand and be like, I've tried that. And for some reason, man, I just can't bring the transformation about. I can't think myself patient enough. I can't think myself long-suffering enough. I can't think myself loving enough. I can't do it on my own. And something happens when God shows up. David Livingston was known for being a man transformed. And he said these words, and it was all about the presence of God. He said, the, he said God, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. And sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to yours. The strangest element to the Christian walk is that the point is with. I think some of us run to, I got to do all of these things for God. What if he's saying, I want to do them with you? See, most of us would probably love it if a boss were to just tell us what we need to do, give us all the resources to do it, and then leave us alone. Right? Most of us. Just tell me what to do, tell me what I can have, and let me get it done. Right? Unfortunately, God doesn't work that way. He doesn't want you checking in. He doesn't want you coming back and reporting. He wants to go with. He wants to walk with. And the point has always been with. As Miss Becca pointed out in the garden, he created and he looks at Adam and Eve and all that he's done is that it is good. And I'm going to walk around. And I'm going to be in the presence of Adam and Eve. I'm going to journey with them. I'm going to be with them. They're going to have everything they need met in me being with them. But that's hard for us to get, isn't it? Because all we feel is distance and separation, don't we? It's really hard to believe that God really wants to be with us. Because we have felt the effects of the angels being placed in front of the garden with the flaming swords. The separation that came because Adam and Eve were no longer content in being with God, but they wanted to be God. Rather than having God walk with them, they wanted to be him. They wanted to know everything and be able to do everything that he was able to do. Rather than trusting that he was not withholding any good thing from them, they said, you're holding out on us. We want it all. And because sin and darkness do not exist in God, a separation occurred. We moved away from him. We moved away from him. But rather than being done with us, God begins this this journey that was weaved all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And the reason I'm not just going to tell you these things, but I'd rather let you see them in the scripture firsthand, is because I don't just want people going, well, Jason thinks. No, I don't. I would rather you just... Be able to see the words found in the scripture. 
And as God works this, this story of, I am not going to leave you, things have to be different now because you are sinful. And if you walk into my presence in your current state, game over. But because I want to be with you, I'm going to make it possible for these things to happen. Yes, it will be different than it was in the garden, but it is my presence nonetheless. I want to be with you. So as you see God and his, his ways rejected by Adam and Eve, the, the garden scene leaves us kind of, ah. But what happens as we reject and ignore God's presence on the earth? What's the first thing that begins to happen? Violence. Violence and corruption and wickedness. When we reject the presence of God, these are the ways we will live. But God didn't stop. Because he was with Noah. When there was wickedness all over the earth, he didn't say, you know what, I'm going to start over from scratch. He saw Noah and said, I will be with you. And here's what you got to do. You got to build this boat. Rescue is provided. Things are going to get bad. But I'm with you, Noah. After Noah and the ark and, and, and the floodwaters drift away, God initiates again. God initiates with Abraham and says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with your family. They're going to go all the way down to Egypt as a family of about 70 people. And in 400 years' time, you're going to be a nation that I will make my home among. And so we see the call of Moses as Israel sits in slavery in Egypt. And as he calls Moses, Moses gets exactly the point Exodus chapter 3, God says to Moses, Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship God at this very mountain. Moses understood that if God didn't go, there'd be no point. Later, God tells Israel the point of him bringing them out of Egypt. In Exodus 25, he says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build the tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. God desiring to be with his people so badly, his desire and longing to be with his people, he gives them specific instructions. Like, I know we don't like specific instructions. We're like, God, just kind of loosen up on some of that stuff, man. Why all the dimensions? Why everything got to be gold covered? Why everything got to be this way, that way, the other way? It's because if we come to him any other way than the way he says, we're done. We don't like that. But here's the problem. If God is a never-changing God, and he does not change, and he will not change, he cannot change. So you know who has to do the changing? We have to get over ourselves. We have to get over our dislike for, well, I don't like that that measurement is exact. I don't like that I have to do it this way. Well, God's saying, I want to be with you so badly. It has to be this way or it can't happen. Here are some specifics to make it happen. And even in Israel's rebellion, Exodus 33 God's like, look, I can't, you guys, you are out of control. You whine too much, you're rebelling all the time. 
And Moses says this, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. See, this is more than likely why people question the way you and I live. They don't see his presence showing up in the way we live. We're marked by what we're against, not who we're with. See, God's presence was meant to set us apart among the nations, and they would know, oh, wow, God lives among them. They live differently. They love differently. They confess these different things. They, they aren't held to the little idols, but they, they claim to know the one true God, and, and he dwells among them. This is insane. How can we know these things? And as we see the story continue, it's difficult to read through the Old Testament because you consistently see Israel reject the presence of God over and over and over. But he stays with it. And he continues to promise them, someday, this ain't going to happen. This whole separation thing, it's going to come to an end. But until then, here's how we're going to make this work. And so he puts his presence in a box and he hangs out with the people of Israel. And then we get to Jesus. We get to our, our favorite Christmas time meditation in Matthew chapter 1. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look! The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is not a Christmas time meditation. This is not an idea that is to be pulled out starting December 1st. Let's think on God being with us for 26 days, and then we move on. This is the thought. This is the point, that he would be with us. His name is Emmanuel. I don't know how much more serious he can be about his presence with us. I don't know how much more it's going to take for us to be convinced he really does want to be with us. Well, obviously, it takes a lot because Matthew has to bookend his book with don't forget Genesis to Revelation, bookends, my presence, my presence. We forget that he longs to be with his people. But we're people who would be like, oh, we just rather do stuff for you. That's easier to understand, right? Like tasks and lists and get it done's. We love that. But when God's like, I want to be with you, we're like, what do you mean you want to be with us? What are you going to do? You going to like look over my shoulder? No, I just want to be with you. What are you going to be you going to be grading my work every time I do something? Jesus is coming. Look busy. Like, is that what we're going to have to do? No. He wants to be with his people. Um, Donald Barnhouse puts it this way. Where is he? When the man who knows he is ungodly learns that he is weak, helpless, without strength, he no longer will approach God, but will find that God has approached him. 
It sets us apart among the nations. A people not working their way to God, trying to to think and work and do to get to him, but that he has come to us. That is the gospel. That is the good news. It means that he has done it all to get to a people who really weren't trying to get to him in the first place. Like if the scripture is correct, none of us are really looking for him. We're looking for our salvation. We're looking for that thing that'll save us or give us the most hope. And so we chase all these idols. We chase money, sex, power, fame, family, house, school, education, work. We're like, those things will save me. That's what we're running to. If I do these things, I'll be saved from whatever it is I think would be being lost. But what we see about the gospel is that God came to us in Christ This is the story that we are to tell. John chapter 1, verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is what Christians understand to be the incarnation. God putting on flesh, putting on a tent and dwelling among us. And walking with us, the incarnation is that he did not stay far away. He did not say, hey, if you get to it, come this way. He stayed close. Rather than being far, he came near. And it's the model of how we are actually to live as well. But it continues that Jesus says he will never leave them. But, John 14, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. It does not get any closer than in. The stranger things of the gospel is that he's not looking to walk life next to us, hand in hand with us. He's taking up residency in his creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we, the church, are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then you get to Revelation chapter 21, bookend to bookend. The presence of God being the point. I heard a loud shout as John was watching all of these things being revealed. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. I don't know how many times you have to hear the word with for us to get it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. From Genesis to Revelation, bookend to bookend, it's always been about his presence with his people. Matthew reminds us, chapter 1, chapter 28, His name is Emmanuel, his name is God with us, Chapter 28, I promise never to leave you. I will be with you always. We need the reminders. Because you and I 
would be content living the Christian life without Jesus. We are so tempted to believe that we can do this. We've got this. And the truth is, we don't. And part of the reason you and I are able to stay on that road with him through his great commission is because we know he goes with us. He wants to be with us. When Doreen and I um, were at Disney World, I think this was actually before we had children, we were walking and there was a family behind us. Um, and I heard this dad tell his daughter, he said, uh, honey, I need you to give me your hand. We're amongst a bunch of people. I need you to give me your hand. And I heard her reply, Daddy, look, I can do the chicken dance. And she just starts doing the chicken dance. It was crazy. I'm like, this is what kids are like. This is awesome. We didn't have any kids yet, so I had not lived through that part of kids doing that. But he said, I need you to give me your hand. And she said, look, I can do the chicken dance. And he said, I'm not asking you to do the chicken dance. I'm asking you to hold my hand. How many of us would be more okay with going, God, look what we've done for you. I'm not asking you to do for me. I'm asking you to hold my hand. I'm not asking you to look busy. I'm not asking you to accomplish tasks. I'm asking you to believe that I long to be with you so much so that I gave my son so that you might have life. I'm asking you to know that I want to be with you so badly that I will forsake all the riches of heaven so that I can come and take the position of a servant and pour my life out on the cross so that you will know just how much I want to be with you because on that day when I wrap up eternity and I'm among my people, I will be so close I will wipe tears from your eyes. That's good news. Being content with rules and routines and rituals and all of those things, that's not good news. See, that's the human heart. The human heart understands rules, rituals, and routines because we can hide behind those things, right? We can be inauthentic behind those things, but when God knows us and we know him and we're like, oh, snap, he knows everything about me. Yet for some reason, there's this, there's this pursuit, there's this chasing, And that's strange to me. Dr. Livingston said these words. He said, without Christ, not one step with him anywhere. Without him, not one step with him anywhere. And as you read through the the Great Commission in Matthew 28, in Jesus' final words, he, he says to his disciples, All authority has been given to me. This means that victory has been authorized. It is all his. It's all his authority. Is it your authority? No. It's his authority. Everything that we could need to accomplish what he is asking us to do, he will provide. Provision is made in that statement that all authority is mine. He's not saying, I don't, uh, resources, that's on you, but go. Provision, that's on you, but go. No, he's saying, look, all authority is mine. Therefore, go. 
all authority is, is his. It's not mine. And see, what happens when we're convinced of Jesus' authority, all of our excuses start to die. Because when we think it's our authority, we come up with every excuse under the sun not to obey his commands. That's the result of saying, I'm not sure Jesus is who he says he is. If you're at that place, if you're like, you know, Jesus was probably a good dude, you're not going to go. I can promise you that. It just repeats itself. History repeats itself. People who are not convinced of the authority of Christ. Well, maybe I can do it. Maybe not. Maybe it's about my best life now. Maybe it's about me getting what I want. Maybe it's about my blessing. Maybe it's about this, 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 that, and the other. Jesus is a good teacher. He's got some moral principles that I'll put into practice. It'll be cool. But did you hear Livingston's words? What, did, what sustained me? Oh, yeah. He's not just a good philosophy teacher. But he's with me even now. That is the game changer. He says to go. I think we would, in our own authority, stay because it's comfortable, right? And see, the beautiful thing about this is not just about going overseas. See, the phrasing that is used here is as you go from here. So Jesus is saying, look, we're at this mountain right now. So when I'm telling you to go, I'm saying as you stop at the the, the hot spot, as you stop at the hot spot, make disciples. Oh, as you you go back to your house, make disciples. You know those heathens that are under the age of 10 that live in your home? As you go with them, make disciples. Because they need it. They need Jesus. Oh, as you go from your, 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 your workout routine, you just, you, know, you just sweat and pour out blood for your CrossFit life and your body to be fit, make disciples. As you go from here, it's not just this when you feel like going or going to this specific location. It is as you go from here, make disciples. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is a learner of Jesus. And for those of us who have been marked by his life, death, and resurrection, learning of Jesus doesn't mean just processing information about him. It means I begin to go, I want to see the way you see. I want to live the way you live. I want to interact the way you did. I want to love the way you love. I want to love the things you love. I want to be careful. I want to care about the things you care about. I want to flee from the things that you say I should flee from. Your word matters most. So when you're making disciples, you're just teaching and you're, 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 you're helping people know Jesus has all authority. That's why I care most about what he says. A disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ is a learner of Christ. And here's the deal, guys. If you are not learning of Christ, you are not learning of his word, you're not spending time with him, but somehow you're okay with your relationship with him, chances are your God is you. If you're not spending time with God and you're good in your, good in your relationship with God, chances are you've created an image of God that you're bowing down to and that image is probably you. Jesus invites us to follow him. Not a version of him that I've created. Not my Jesus, but Jesus. And so we go because he has all authority He says to all the nations. I love that because there's no place out of that. 
Where should I go? Well, does it, is it included in all the nations? Then go there. But I work. Does Jesus mean go to my workplace? Is, is it included in all the nations? Then go there. But I go to school. I am a student. Should I go so... Is your school included in all the nations? Then go there. And while you go, make learners of Jesus. Be a learner of Jesus. Know who his voice, know who he is, know what he loves, know who he's chasing. Pray, look, see, consider. This is the beautiful invitation of the presence of God. And he says, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing is just saying, I'm set apart for him. I'm his. And then he says, teach them. Teach them of all that I have commanded you. We're slow to learn, so we need people to walk with us. This is how Jesus loves. This is how Jesus interacts. This is where we go. And it's because of all that he has just said, Matthew 28, 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love that he says, and be sure of this, at the relationship part. He doesn't say, and be sure of this, I have all authority. And be sure of this, you better go. And be sure of this to all the nations. And be sure of this, that you baptize them and teach them. He says, and be sure of this, I will be with you. Even at the end of the world. But it all goes together. You can't pick and choose portions of this commission. You can't go, well, I, I like that he has all authority, but I'd really love it if he just used that authority to benefit me. Oh, I like that he says go. That's, that's me being active and doing a whole bunch of stuff. But I'm not necessarily sure I care about the authority of Jesus. I like that he gives me things to do. It all goes together. It's not just that his presence comforts us. It transforms us, and we become this kind of people. It all starts and ends with Jesus. And if we doubt that he is who he says he is, we will wrestle with the rest of the command. But for Dr. Livingston and for so many before him, and for those of you in this room, it's the, it's the person of Jesus that matters most in all of this. Not simply my going and doing, it's that he has all authority and that he's with me till the end of the age. See, I love that because there are some of you in this room that maybe the end of the world, like the physical collapsing of society isn't happening, okay? But for some of you in your walk with Jesus, you might be walking and there may be some relationships that are going to come to an end because of Jesus. And you may see that as the end of the world. Well, just so you know, when the hard conversations come up in difficult relationships and you're like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And Jesus is like, I am with you. When you are actually physically suffering for the sake of the gospel, he's saying, I am with you. When hard decisions at work are causing a, a cutoff, and you're like, as a Christ follower, I don't think I can do that. But that, if I lose that job, that'll be the end of my world. And Jesus reminding you, I am with you. Even to the end of the age. 
every step the point has been with. And as we close this morning, we consider these words, the with. It was funny because I was praying this morning and just considering some of these things, and I totally was not even planning on this Sunday, but February 4th, 11 years ago, to this day, is the day that Doreen and an infant six-month-old Zeke and two dogs got into a car and drove the long drive from Nashville to Asheville. Pulled into this town with nothing but Jesus will go with us. Having absolutely no clue what we were doing, we just knew Jesus was going with us. We walked away from some things that might have been more secure in the world we were in in Nashville. We walked away going, we don't know all of the answers, but we know that he's going with us, and he's got all authority, and he's told us to go, and it all goes together. Without him going with us, no steps. With him, all the steps. The strange things that you and I as Christ followers walk with is... It's so foreign to the world, but that the presence of God walks and marks us so that the world will know he exists. Some strange way we get to be these, like I said, we get to be these kingdom revealers and we just, we just pull things back. It's not, it's not a superiority complex. Please hear me out. It's not me going, I walk with God, so wherever I go, he goes with me and that's when he shows up. No, he's at work in the world and the church are, is the body, the people who is meant to reveal his work. Hey, he's at work. And when he shows up, you know what shows up? Peace, reconciliation. Justice, mercy, hope, healing. Without him, violence, corruption, wickedness. From Genesis to Revelation, it is God establishing his presence among his people. And we see that happen when we walk out those doors. And as his people, we pray that we would be the workers revealing that there's a God pursuing them, chasing them, longing to be with them. And you know what? We journey with those people long enough for them to experience that that freaks them out and they hate that idea. (sighs) We journey with them long enough to go, man, I so badly want you to know the king of the universe. This is Jesus. It's why we would consider his words more important than ours. And so this morning, as we go to the corners of the room, as we normally do, I'm going to ask that you sit before you go. I believe there's repentance and confession that has to go on in the church as we consider with. Maybe you have been one who has not been making disciples, but you've been making excuses. You've been making excuses because it's about your authority. It's not been about Jesus' authority. It's been about yours. Confess that. Maybe instead of making disciples, you've been making judgments. See, we do that when we think it's our authority. We just become judgy of everyone else. We do. That's what we do. Like, 
when we forget about the very presence of God, who he would give his life for me, you become the most judgmental people on the earth. Maybe instead of making disciples, you've been making judgments. Repent of that. Confess it. Tell him, hey, I have, I have been making excuses and I have been making judgments, but I have not been making disciples. I'm done. I don't want to do that anymore. Lord, show me how to make disciples. Maybe you have seen the rules more valuable than Jesus. Maybe you have held up your good works list to God and gone, look, this is better than what Jesus did on the cross. So if you just look at this list and be cool with this, you need to repent of that. You need to confess that to the Lord. Maybe you have been one who has been saying, you know what? I've been trying to live this Jesus life without Jesus. And I don't want to do that anymore. I want to go with him step by step. I want to be so aware that he is with me, that, that the, my prayer is no longer, Lord, be with me. We pray that. That's the only prayer we know in the Christian church today. Lord, be with me. No, we start saying, God, thank you for being with me. You promised. You're with me. And as we go and take communion this morning, may you understand that it reestablishes the lordship of Jesus over your whole life. It's me confessing that he is enough. So when you go and take that bread and you take it and dip it in that juice, you are declaring that Jesus has settled it. And he does have all authority. He has authority to conquer sin and death and defeat the power and penalty of sin in my life. And he can do that for anyone who would turn to him and call his name. And we do that collectively together this morning. Father, I pray that you would show us how your authority gives provision. Your, your call to go gives us purpose. But that is never going to be without your presence. It is always with you. And may that stir our hearts, not just to be comforted, but that you would transform us because of that. It's in your name we pray.